Hi gang, thanks for downloading this classic episode of News Fighters. Just a reminder, if you're looking for new original episodes of News Fighters, they're now over on the Irrational Fear podcast feed. So search for Irrational Fear on your podcasting app or go to irrationalfear.com for all new episodes of News Fighters. In the meantime, enjoy this classic News Fighters episode. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Sans Pants Radio, Australia's happiest podcast network. This is News Fighters. Fight the news so you don't have to. With Dylan Behan. Yes, hello fighters. Welcome to News Fighters for today, April the 29th, 2021. News Fighters is a comedic look at the week's news by me, Wacky Clips Boy, Dylan Bain. Coming up on today's show, I take a look at last week's Global Climate Earth Day Summit. And joining me to talk about this year's Global Drug Survey is Dr. Monica Barrett from RMIT. But first, sad and tragic news on the fight against COVID coming out of India. Tonight, the COVID crisis in India spirals out of control. A fifth record day of new COVID cases reached in India. The country turning into hell on earth. The full scale of India's disaster revealed. Yes, absolutely horrific scenes coming from our neighbour India. They're arguably some of the most devastating of the entire pandemic so far. But for the commercial Australian TV networks, they had to try and make it accessible to local audiences. So they made it about cricket. Now there are also fears for our Australian cricket stars. Flight cancellations would be devastating to our cricketers playing in the IPL in India. 16 Australian cricketers playing in the lucrative Indian Premier League have been caught in the middle of this health crisis. Warner, just one of Australia's cricketing royalty, bailed up in this raging pandemic, along with Steve Smith, Ricky Ponting, Brett Lee, Michael Slater and Pat Cummins. Geez, I'm amazed Steve Smith couldn't figure out a way to get home earlier. Surely he could just tamper with his ticket somehow, you know, rub a little charcoal on it to change the date. Um, what I'm saying is he's a cheater who could cheat his way home if he really wanted to. Come on, Steve Smith, focus. Um... The escalating crisis in India has led to Australia to send aid and also uh, to temporarily bar flights from India, uh, especially after Perth went into a three-day lockdown due to a recent hotel quarantine leak. The crisis in India has stoked fresh debate over whether Australia's hotel quarantine system is up to scratch. A system that is achieving 99.99% effectiveness is a very strong system and is serving Australia very well. Scott Morrison there defending the hotel quarantine system, but ScoMo, you're not sounding very Aussie there, mate. It's pronounced 99.99. Sound like an Aussie next time, would you? India, the world's largest democracy, really doesn't seem to like being criticised for its handling of the crisis, even on social media. At a time of public outrage, it's been revealed Twitter complied with the directive to remove dozens of tweets critical of the central government and prime minister. Yes, the Indian government forced Twitter to take down dozens of tweets. 
Jeez, what kind of an insecure government would lash out against some people online writing some little tweets, criticizing the way they're handling a crisis? Um, I'm sorry, what's that, Peter Dutton? Some of these, you know, people who are trending on Twitter or uh, have the anonymity of, uh, you know, different Twitter accounts and uh, they're out there putting all these account- th- th- these uh, statements and tweets that, uh, frankly, are defamatory. I- I'm going to start to pick out some of them to sue. Yes, if you haven't heard, this week Peter Dutton is suing someone who defamed him on Twitter. Which reminds me, I have a quick tweet i just got to send. Bear with me. Uh, Peter Dutton has a great-looking head that doesn't at all resemble a potato in any way and is a top bloke. Send. Okay, now on to our big story. For Earth Day last week, US President Joe Biden... Uh, he took over from Trump, if you've forgotten. Uh, he held an online global climate summit, and there were some big announcements. US President Joe Biden has promised to slash his nation's greenhouse gas emissions in half by 2030, as world leaders gathered online overnight for the Earth Day summit. The United States to cut its emissions by up to 52% by 2030, the European Union 55% by the same year, and the UK, 78% by 2035. On the Today Show, Michael Genovese summed up the summit like this. There were more targets than an archery competition. That's how some are describing this morning's virtual climate change summit. Yes, but for Australia, it was less like archery practice and more like a game of darts at the pub where we've had 12 schooners and can't even hit the dartboard. Scott Morrison's been increasingly confident of reaching net zero emissions by 2050 without making a firm commitment. China, India and Russia joined Australia in making no new commitments. Scott Morrison making no promises. Australia, no change. Yes, Scott Morrison is making Australia look like the fuckboy of the global climate community. Look, babe, I'd really like to reduce my uh, emissions with you right now, but I'm just not after any commitment. Yes, Morrison wouldn't set a date for Australia to reach zero net emissions, nor would he announce a date that he's going to set the date for us to reach zero net emissions, except to say maybe we'll know the date by the date of the next Global Climate Summit later in the year. Australia is on the pathway to net zero. Our goal is to get there as soon as we possibly can. We are well on the way to meet and beat our Paris commitments and we'll update our long-term emissions reduction strategy for Glasgow. Yes, climate change is the most important and dangerous threat facing the entire planet, and Scott Morrison is sounding like a flaky backpacker on Kentucky. Yeah, can I let you know when we get to when we get to Glasgow? Is that all right? Yes, and speaking of targets, the Minister for Energy and Emissions Reductions, Angus Taylor, pointed out to Fran Kelly on Iron Breakfast last week that it's easy to beat targets if you purposely keep them low and don't update them. We always shoot to meet and beat our targets. That's exactly what we seek to do, but we deliver. And this is what counts. You know, you can talk all you like about this. People can talk all they like about this, wherever they like. But what counts at the end of the day is delivery. And so delivery set the bar low and then you over-deliver. Is that well, no, stop? No, we don't set the bar low. We, we aim to meet and beat. Yes, the easiest way to look ambitious and successful is to have very low ambitions. If your only ambition every day is to get out of bed and have a glass of water, hey presto, you're Mr. Successful. Good job, Angus. Also on target, Scott Morrison here sounds a bit like a neglectful husband who forgot to buy his wife a birthday present. Scott Morrison recovered to argue achievements are more important than promises. Future generations, my colleagues and excellencies, will thank us, not for what we have promised, but what we deliver. Scott Morrison's like, yeah, I know I forgot your birthday present, but I remembered your birthday present the last 
12 years in a row that I've known you. That's like over 99.99% of the time. Why don't you judge me on that instead of this year when I forgot? Scott Morrison also said it doesn't matter if we meet our targets, which he doesn't have for you right now, but will at some stage in the future. It's how we meet our targets. For Australia, it is not a question of if or even by when for net zero, but importantly, how. And that's why we're so focused on the how. Because if you don't know how, uh, you'll never know when. If you don't know how, you'll never know when. What the hell is this, ScoMo? Is this a is this a dodgy tourism slogan from your days at Tourism Australia? You've just recycled on us like you had Lara Bingle on a beach being like, if you don't know how, you'll never know when. I mean, again, your own child wouldn't be allowed to get away with this kind of response. When are you going to clean your room, Scotty? Well, the when is not important. It's the how. Without the how, there is no when. Shut up and clean your room or you're grounded. In terms of the mysterious how of how to meet and beat these low targets, Scott Morrison is promising to use something called technology. Australia, it is not a question of if or even by when for net zero, but importantly, how. That is why we're investing in priority new technology solutions. The answer is technology, not taxes. I'll be getting there by technology, not taxes. Ah, yes, because this meeting proved that technology is always reliable. President Biden's virtual climate summit. The Prime Minister of Australia. Looked like a tech wreck. Mr. Prime Minister, I'm not sure we're hearing you. Australia's muted message to the global climate summit, not what world leaders want to hear. Mr. Prime Minister, I'm not sure we're hearing you. The world watching, but not hearing. Glitches eventually unglitched. Geez, good thing we're not trying to generate electricity via Zoom meetings. No, the uh, technology that Morrison couldn't get enough of talking about was not solar or wind, where, you know, the energy is literally free from the skies, but hydrogen. In Australia, our ambition is to produce the cheapest green hydrogen in the world at $2 per kilogram Australian. Mr. President, in the United States, you have the Silicon Valley. Here in Australia, we are creating our own hydrogen valleys. Great, I can't wait for Hydrogen Valley's essential workers to be sleeping in vans because they're priced out of real estate because only hydrogen billionaires can afford to live in Hydrogen Valley. I was wondering where Morrison's sudden fascination with hydrogen had come from. And then I remembered that his mate, mining billionaire Andrew Twiggy Forrest, basically did an entire infomercial on it on the ABC in his Boyer lecture. The solution is hydrogen. Hydrogen is the most common element in existence. In fact, the universe is 75% by mass. Hydrogen will never run out of it. To catalyse a global solution to climate change by rapidly increasing the supply of green hydrogen. It was which company would have the resilience to take the risk to truly test green hydrogen at global industrial scale. Man, that guy really loves hydrogen. That scene reminded me of uh, Tom Cruise playing a pickup artist motivational speaker, Frank TJ Mackey in Magnolia. Respect the hydrogen. And tame the industrial scale. Fun fact, I have no idea if that joke makes any sense whatsoever, but who cares, I'm tired. Yes, Scott Morrison loves mining billionaire Twiggy Forrest so much that he even gave him and a bunch of other companies that donate to the Liberal Party a good shout out during his climate summit speech. Our journey to net zero is being led by world-class pioneering Australian companies like Fortescue, led by Dr. Andrew Forrest, Busy, BHP, 
Rio Tinto, AGL, and so many more. Here, is it just me or is giving a shout out to mining companies at a climate change conference a bit like thanking beer companies at an AA meeting? Yeah, thanks to them, we wouldn't be as screwed up as we are today. All right, so back to Twiggy Forest, who seems to know an awful lot about hydrogen. Uh, tell us, Twiggy, how do we make it? It's also the simplest. To make it, you just run electricity through water. Okay, so we can use electricity to make hydrogen. Now, Scott Morrison, what can we make with the hydrogen? It can be used um, through the catalytic process that I was um, seeing early this week to drive the turbines that currently are fired by coal-fired, in coal-fired power stations. Okay, hang on, what the hell? So you're saying we use electricity to make hydrogen to make electricity? I'm sorry, but how is this convoluted human centipede of energy production better than shining the sun on solar panels again? Now, I'm not a scientist, but isn't this a bit like saying that to simplify the sandwich-making process, you're just going to make the sandwiches out of other sandwiches? Yes, it's my new invention, the Sandwich Sandwich. We've cut down on uh, all the inefficiencies by making the sandwich out of 100% other sandwiches. And as for hydrogen being a clean energy, well... Angus Taylor got caught out again by Fran Kelly on Aaron Breakfast. A lot of people have been asking here, me here on this program, is it green hydrogen or hydrogen made with fossil fuels? It's clean hydrogen. What's that, that mean? That's, that's the point. It's clean hydrogen. So again, it's not made with fossil fuels? Let's declare war on industries. No, I'm not let's, declaring war. I'm asking you, is it well, made with fossil well, fuels or the, it made the, with renewable energy? The, the point that many make when they're asking that question is we, we can't possibly make anything from fossil fuels. Well, you know what? If it's zero emissions, it's fine. That's the point. It's got to be clean. Okay. Uh, so it will be made with fossil fuels and how do we make be, it zero emissions? It, it will be made with anything that allows us to reduce emissions. This blue uh, hydrogen that can be done with zero emissions. Yes, blue hydrogen is made by burning a fossil fuel, natural gas, which can only be zero emissions if you use carbon capture. You know carbon capture, that unproven pie-in-the-sky technology conservatives have been trying to hype up as the solution to all our problems since, well, George W. Bush in 2001. We're making great progress through technology, but have not yet developed cost-effective ways to capture carbon emissions at their source. Although... There's some promising work that is being done. All right, so Scott Morrison is all in on hydrogen because, you know, only Greens voters and hippies like windmills and solar panels. What else can we use hydrogen for? I mean, hydrogen can be used to drive vehicles. I mean, up there in the Pilbara at the moment, they're putting him in the mining trucks. Ah, yes, let's use hydrogen in vehicles. I mean, it it was working well up until the 1930s when that Hindenburg thing happened. It burst into flesh. Get it started. Get it started. All the humanity and all the passengers speeding around it. Hey, fun fact, other humanity is also what we'll be saying 50 years from now when the last hectare of trees catches fire. Anyways, at least Scott Morrison definitely tries to appear more committed to climate action than previous conservative coalition prime ministers. And that's probably because he realises that if he doesn't, he could lose the votes of higher income higher educated city voters. And we saw it at the last election with, for example, the campaign that was waged against former Prime Minister Tony Abbott in the seat of Warringah by the independent uh, candidate Zali Stegall, who won that seat on a platform of climate action. There is this sentiment within inner city seats that are held by the Liberals that they need to be doing more. So, of course, you'll never guess who Scott Morrison attacked last week. Those inner city people. And he took aim at inner city elites. We're not going to achieve net zero in the cafes, dinner parties and wine bars of our inner cities. Hey, idiot. Not sure you've realised this, but 
net zero in Australia, no matter when or how we ever get there, will be largely thanks to these inner city people you seem to hate. They're the ones who are investing in electric vehicles and solar panels. They're the ones catching public transport and riding bicycles, buying green energy and carbon neutralizing their flight superannuation and other investments. And it won't be at all thanks to to you current mob in government who refuse to set strong binding targets or implement strong policies to lower business or industrial emissions. And when it comes to the concerns of voters over global warming and the environment, well, you're like... I'm not sure we're hearing you. Okay, so in other news, it was Anzac Day last weekend, and for those of you who weren't at the pub, maybe you saw uh, this interesting story on ABC News about treating PTSD in veterans. The Royal Commission into Veterans Suicides is being urged to investigate the use of sedatives to treat soldiers with post-traumatic stress disorder. Tasmanian Senator Jackie Lambie says alternative treatments must be considered and made available. There's other therapies out there without putting, um, without putting these veterans straight on, straight on benzos and mixing them with every other drug that they try and put, on, put through their system. There's beginning to be a worldwide conversation about the potential use of psychedelics instead of opioids for the treatment of depression and other mental illnesses. Recently, the US state of Oregon legalised the regulated use of magic mushrooms in a therapeutic setting. And in the UK, Bristol has recently opened up its first high street provider of psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy. Even podcaster Joe Rogan seems excited by the idea of uh, the use of psychedelics in... um... I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't, right? Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Kickboxing. We're using psilocybin uh, these days in what they call microdosing, taking very small mm-hmm. doses and, and seeing these profound benefits. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that I, I'm aware of is kickboxers are using it. Funny how Rogan recently came out as anti-COVID vaccine for young, healthy people, but it's all like, yeah, give the kickboxers mushrooms. Also recently, the Global Drug Survey revealed that more and more Australians are turning to psychedelics to self-treat mental illness and emotional distress. Now, I don't want you to do that. If you're suffering mental illness or in emotional distress, please reach out to your GP for a mental health plan or call Lifeline. But 
I did get a chance to chat to the head of the Australian arm of the Global Drug Survey, Dr. Monica Barrett from RMIT, about what all this means for the future of psychedelics-assisted psychotherapy in Australia. Joining me now is Dr. Monica Barrett, who is a uh, senior research fellow uh, at the uh, at RMIT's uh, Social and Global Studies Centre, and was the lead of the Australian arm of the 2020 Global Drug Survey, which I believe found some interesting developments to do with Australians turning to psychedelics to treat mental health. Uh, is that correct, uh, Dr. Barrett? Uh, thanks for having me on the program. Uh, yeah, so the Global Drug Survey last year, just before COVID hit actually, uh, collected some data from over 100,000 people globally, around 10% were from Australia. And you know, every year we ask about all kinds of drugs, but this time we asked more about psychedelics than we usually are. So we, we actually delved into whether or not people were not just taking them recreationally, but also considering their use for self-treatment. So did they use them to feel um, better because they have mental health issues or psychiatric problems or relationship problems, this sort of thing. So um, yeah, we had over 6,000 respondents say that that was what they were using psychedelics for. Um, you know, we asked them which psychedelics they used and, and they were the sort of um, most common ones, LSD, psilocybin, which is the active ingredient in magic mushrooms, and MDMA, or commonly known as ecstasy. These were the most common, but there are a whole heap of other ones that folks described using, DMT, ayahuasca, these sorts of psychedelic drugs. And then mainly for the sorts of conditions that were... You, that you think that are most common anyway when you consider what mental health conditions are out there. So this is depression, anxiety, relationship issues, and, and less common, but certainly, um, you know, uh, important to consider were issues of trauma. So people with post-traumatic stress disorder and other kinds of uh, issues around trauma um, mentioned that they were using psychedelics as self-treatment. And uh, why the focus on uh, psychedelics this year, or is this just part of part of the uh, part of the overall study? Well, overall, I mean, you know, it's quite clear when you're watching this literature, as I, I've been for quite some time, that the last, I'd say, the last decade we would say that there's been a, a renaissance in psychedelic research worldwide, uh, especially the use of psychedelics as medicines as opposed mm -hmm. to simply as psychoactive drugs that people maybe take to change their perceptions or to, to feel a certain way. People are also... Uh, you know, looking at these as medicines. So uh, we have a number of clinical trials, randomised control trials around the world, either that have been conducted, reported on, or are still underway, looking at the efficacy and the safety of some of these substances, which for many decades have been considered to not have medicinal purposes. You know, they've, I mean, that's essentially what we do when we prohibit drugs and say that they, mm. you know, are only ever possibly used um, recreationally or as drugs of dependence. We're, we're basically also saying that they're not medicines because there are many drugs out there that are all of those things and also mm. medicines. And these get scheduled in a different way so that they can be produced, I guess, as an example, morphine, you know, mm. and, and many of the opioid drugs are produced at a pharmaceutical level and provided to people in hospitals for pain or prescribed uh, for pain. Uh, and they have a lot of controls on their use because it's understood that, that they can be uh, used or misused. 
Um, but when it comes to drugs like LSD and MDMA, these are not drugs that have traditionally been considered also medicines. But this last decade has really changed that with some of the studies coming out showing efficacy um, in, in treating conditions that have otherwise been incredibly difficult to treat. So people mm. with treatment-resistant post-traumatic stress disorder yeah. where for, for, for decades they've been trying to manage debilitating um, a condition that, that, you know, it's really makes it very hard for them to live a normal life. Mm. And for some of these people, um, you know, psychedelic assisted psychotherapy is a game changer. So I think that's why one of the reasons why we wanted to look at this issue again in our survey. And especially because at this time, most people wouldn't have access to these substances as typical medicines. Maybe if they were in a research trial, they might, but that's always you know, a very small percentage of people. So we're not at a point anywhere in the world where someone can go to their doctor or their psychiatrist and easily access these substances. We're starting to talk about that now in many parts of the world and, and, and starting to move further towards that. And my sense is in the next sort of five, five to 10 years, it's going to change. You know, we're going mm. to have more results come out of the medical trials that are underway. You know, it's possible that there'll still be, you know, grave concerns and these are powerful substances. So we do have to treat them that way it's it's fascinating stuff the the guardian uh, recently uh had a very interesting article about the opening i think of the first uk high street clinic offering psychedelic mm. assisted therapy um and it was there fascinating read saying that it could um it's treatment for uh, alcohol dependency and uh, depression that is resistant to other forms of treatment. The, it's the, the findings could be very interesting. And then I read, I think that the maybe is it the Greens and the ACT here mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. are they interested. They want to move uh, forward. Yes. Yeah, is that is there any? Uh, will we be possibly be heading in the same direction as as the UK with this? Do you think is that kind uh, of the aim? Look, look. I think eventually we will move in that direction. Mm. I say that knowing that there needs to be a number of things in place for that to happen. So Mm. over the last six months, there's been uh, an attempt to change the scheduling of both psilocybin and MDMA through the Australian Therapeutic Goods Administration. So there was a private applicant to downschedule them just by one level from schedules mm-hmm. nine to schedule eight. Mm. And this is a very, so it's a small change. But and, and, what, would, and what does that mean exactly? That means you will be able to use it for research, is it? Or, or? Yeah, so not, not quite. So it basically, it allows greater access by medical professionals, but they still have to go through uh, a strong set of um, processes, so it certainly wouldn't result in that that high street type arrangement that you that you mentioned there. Mm-hmm. But it, a reduction from Schedule Nine to Schedule Eight would mean that, say, more psychiatrists could apply on an individual yep. basis to be able to supply these drugs. The thing is, though, of course, there then has to be a supplier, and because psilocybin and MDMA are not drugs that pharmaceutical companies can make much money out of well Mm -hmm. hardly any at all Mm -hmm. for two reasons they're out of patent first reason but secondly the way that they work they essentially when we look at the trials of these drugs used in a medical setting they work basically two or three doses 
over sort of 10 therapy sessions. So most of those sessions are non, um, are just talk sessions, counselling sessions mm-hmm. without the psychedelic, but two to three of them will, will also have the psychedelic as well. And then the sessions before and after will be preparation, integration, this kind of thing. So it involves a lot of people time, which has to be paid for, but it doesn't involve a lot of drug. I mean, that's two or three doses and that's it. That's mm. it. Like you don't have to take it every day for no, the rest of your life. Exactly. And most, most psych, the most drugs that psychiatrists prescribe are like that. They're daily yes. forever. So this is very different and it is obviously not the same level of um, profitability that ah. would attract a, a company to invest because they don't, there isn't a pipeline of people yep. that they're going to be on forever. And indeed, it might even be the opposite because they might come off their antidepressants. They might come off their um, you know, antipsychotics or other drugs they might be on. So it's, you don't have the same financial drivers. So, so with the Therapeutic Goods Administration here, they have put out their interim finding, but they haven't put out their final finding yet. The interim finding basically said no. No, we don't think we're ready. Um, they took the advice of some of the more conservative submissions from, you know, medical people, psychiatrists, et cetera, in Australia who said, look, we're just not ready. We need to find out more um, from clinical trials locally that are not yet complete. So um, so at the moment, we are still awaiting the final yep. the final ruling from the TGA, but it's quite, I mean, it's almost inevitable that it will be no, not yet. Mm. Uh, but that doesn't mean that this will stop. Uh, is it just, uh, why do you suppose there's a, a lack of wanting to look into this further in Australia? Is it just these drugs have a have a bad reputation from, from, from we think of the hippies in the 60s and the 70s mm. and that kind of thing? Like if these drugs were discovered today, would they, would they be a lot more serious about, about researching them, do you think? It's possible. Um, mm. I guess when you look at the Therapeutic Goods Administration's interim ruling, you see that there is there are a number of statements that they make that are quite, I would say, like they came out of 20 years ago. Right, right. You know, that do that do show you show I guess a, a stigma or, or a sense of staying with the old ways of thinking about these substances. Having said that, they do state that they are willing to review the situation when local trials are completed, and so I see this really as. Australia, Australian officials wanting to see Australian data and assess it that way. And what that also says is that we need to make it easier for research trials to happen. It's a very tricky task at the moment. I'm not heading up any of these trials, but I'm a close colleague with someone who is. And he has told me the red tape. I mean, you can just imagine, Mm. you know, every single step of the way in terms of the chain of custody of accessing medical grade MDMA for a trial Mm -hmm. is very, you know, tricky. It just takes a long time. I think though, once this trial is set up and it's a very, it only wants to have four people. It just wants to show, the trial just wants to show that it can be done in Australia, that we can set up all of the, the right, uh, chains of custody for the for the substances and, and have the right training and, and do all the things in the right way. And then, of course, they'll, they'll be interested in seeing the findings from those four people. But then I think after that, once they've shown, yes, it's feasible, 
then it will be let's enrol many more people and do a proper trial in Australia of the sorts of things that we have seen really positive results of overseas. So I think replicating those trials here will change the minds of the TGA. Of course, if the results don't come out, then it's not going to change their minds. But the results seem quite remarkable on all the trials. They do. They seem, you look at these trials and you say, well, this is treatment-resistant, long-term, debilitating trauma. And, you know, three months, uh, this treatment is is full on. It's, you know, 10 sessions with two to three uh, overnight stays at a hospital that involves psychedelics. This is a lot of time and energy. But, you know, they follow them up three months, six months, four months down the line and people are changed forever in a really positive way. So my fingers are crossed that that will happen here too and that that sort of treatment will be possible for, the you know, people in the community that I know that have suffered trauma and still can't move through it, you know, and they can't get on with their lives. And, it, and it's really sad because almost always when people suffer trauma, it is not their fault. I mean, I would say 100% of the time, mm-hmm. it is not their fault. And yet there they are burdened with trauma and its, and its repercussions. And so, you know, it almost seems, and I think this has been the argument from some people is to say, well, we need to cut through all this red tape. We need to get these drugs out to these people now. You know, people are dying. They're committing suicide. Like, so some mm-hmm. people have really come on very strong there and they've said, you know, we need to get this sorted out. But of course, if we do make it too accessible and if we don't have the right training in place and we don't have the right systems in place, then we might end up too far the other way with, I don't know, shogsters handing out MDMA and I don't know, things going wrong. So it's just getting that balance right so that things don't go wrong on either side of the pendulum. Yes. And clearly, we, based on the, the research, we shouldn't be encouraging everyone to just go out and microdose because these things, they're not for everyone. They're excessively, they can be dangerous. So um, so everyone, I think I'll just be microdosing with a, with a glass of wine uh, after that, <laughs> if, that's, if that's okay. <laughs> Um, Look, I mean, it, yeah, it is a bit ironic, really, because, you know, alcohol uh, is responsible for a very large proportion of the harms from psychoactive substances in Australia. Um, yet, of course, many more of us drink it. So, you mm-hmm. know, um, but yes, it, it's, I mean, it's a whole other topic to consider microdosing. With these self-treatment approaches, they are very much... Um, you know, more the macro dose or the standard dose mm-hmm. um, rather than the micro dose, which, you know, um, you know, by definition, micro dosing shouldn't be something that you perceive a psychoactive effect from. It should be so small that there's something changing. And I mean, microdoses will say, yes, I can feel a difference in the way that I, say, respond to stress or whatever, mm-hmm. but they're not experiencing um, by the definition of a microdose, it shouldn't be a high enough dose for them to actually experience, say, altered perception or, you know, hearing sounds differently or all that kind of stuff that you might associate with yeah. some of these substances. F- fascinating. Uh, before we go, anything else you want to add um, or any anything else? Uh, we'll just say that if you're interested in Global Drug Survey, either doing the survey or looking at all our reports, you can go to globaldrugsurvey.com and you'll find lots of things there that might be interesting to you, including some of our free harm reduction apps, which are pretty good too. Fantastic. Fascinating stuff. Uh, thanks for making time to be on News Fighters, uh, Dr. Monica Barrett. Thank you. Thank you. All right, that's News Fighters for today. Big thank you to Dr. Monica Barrett for being on the show. You can follow her on Twitter, at Monica Barrett. News Fighters is written, presented, and produced by me, Dylan Bain. 
for Sans Pants Radio. Don't forget to hit follow on Spotify or your podcasting app. And if you're watching us on YouTube, hit subscribe. Also follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Email us at podcast at newsfighters.com. If you want to support the show, buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash newsfighters. That's all for now. Keep fighting and catch you next week. This is News Fighters, where we fight the news so you don't have to. 